Welcome to Seed to Scale. We're four investors with backgrounds as founders who met at the engineering school at the University of Pennsylvania. Tim Young. Nahal Mehta. Hadley Harris. Vic Singh. We started ENIAC in 2009. With more than 80 years of combined experience building our own companies. We now lead seed rounds and bold founders who use code to create transformational companies. Starting a company from the ground up is really hard. In this podcast, we'll be having conversations with some of the most interesting founders, investors, and influencers. About the ins and outs of building an early stage company. We talk about it all. Funding, growth, and everything it takes to build a lasting business. Hey everybody, it's Nahal, founding general partner at ENIAC Ventures back on Seed to Scale. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Beezer Clarkson. And I don't think it's different for LPs any more so than it is for GPs. And that, what are you going to bring to the table? Beezer is at Sapphire Partners in San Francisco in the Valley. She leads investments in venture funds all over the world. She began her career at Morgan Stanley and over the course of 20 years has held many, many roles that we'll get into a little bit. A couple of years ago, Beezer led the launch of OpenLP, an effort to help foster a greater understanding in the entrepreneur to LP tech ecosystem. And we're really honored and privileged to have her on the show. So welcome to Seeds at Scale. So first off, where where did Beezer come from? Elizabeth's your real name. And then work that into your background as well. Okay. So it started with my aunt, who's British, and she used to call me Elizabeth when I was very small, you know, two or three. And my older sister, I mean, I was three, she was five. So somehow she shortened Elizabeth down to B and then made it Beezer. And honestly, I don't remember, but by the time I hit kindergarten, Beezer was it. Legitimately, when I graduated from college, and the dean, of course, calls your full legal name, I had friends who honestly thought I didn't graduate and were trying to like commiserate with me and be like, it's okay, it's really hard to get your degree, you'll do it next year, because they had no idea that my real name was Elizabeth. Tell us about where did your passion for finance, for investing come from? I guess what led you to, to Morgan Stanley and then and then to Sapphire? You know, as I've gotten older, I've become more and more envious of people who seem to have known what they wanted to do from the get-go. I definitely remember interviewing for this group that I was in, which was called Project Finance, which literally was a financing of like oil and gas pipelines and power plants and airplanes and satellite systems. I mean, like super infrastructure stuff. And I was a poli-sci liberal arts undergrad, so not really well connected. But I thought it was just fascinating to see how the world moved and how these different uh, activities happened. And money was the conduit in. But once I was living in San Francisco in the late 90s, and once tech became a sort of part of my consciousness, that just took over as what I thought was the most fascinating. And that just hasn't changed. So everything since then has been different ways of looking at technology and finance and how did the two interplay. And that led me to being an LP. Awesome. Uh, Sapphire, what kind of things are you interested in investing in? You know, what are you kind of passionate about? And maybe a little bit about the strategy. Well, we've been pretty steady Eddie about our investing strategy for the LP side of the Sapphire business. And we think that's a good thing. We think one should be super reliable and consistent and persistent on the LP side. So we are completely fine. Sometimes I joke around and say boring is a okay when you're an LP because 
you know, you, you want to know that we're here, right? GPs don't want to worry about where is the LP world gone and have you change strategies mid-cycle because all that's very disruptive to the folks that we invest in. So ever since we launched our, our work, which was some seven years ago at Sapphire when I joined, we focused predominantly on the Series A focused funds. We've focused predominantly U.S. and then within the U.S., predominantly Bay Area. We do 20% in Europe, 10% in Israel. Occasionally we do seed. Um, and we've been just consistent around that ever since the beginning. And we, which isn't meaning to say we don't always look and spend a lot of time understanding what's going on in the ecosystem to see if perhaps we do need to flex a bit, maybe more seed, maybe a bit later. You know, we're, we're, we're always sort of asking ourselves what's happening and how does that impact what we're doing? But to date, we have not changed and the focus on venture would never change. And Sapphire's main investor is SAP. Is any of the strategy dictated by, you know, by, by the corporate or is it all on you guys? No, it's all on us. The way I think about it is I have a fantastic global enterprise software firm as my LP, and they're wonderful. And I give them so much credit for having the forward vision for many years ago saying, yes, we're going to help stand up this business. And it's, it's, we're independent. We own our own management company, you know, all of the same attributes as anything else. And we own all of those engagements, right? With those, that teams that someone we pay for out of our management fee. It's great. Um, and that's and that's really how we work well. And SAP is super thrilled with that because that's what they want to see too. How do you think the role, I guess, of of the LP has changed in the last few years? You you had this blog post reimagining our role as an LP in venture. Maybe talk about that a little bit, and, and maybe going into the future, how do you see it changing? Sure. Well, when I mean, there's there's pros and cons, right, of being the relative new kid on the block. The powerful part of that is that you can kind of look around and say what works in the ecosystem. And it was really clear to us that GPs, the folks like you, um, that LPs invest in, want to know that their LPs permanent and and focused and smart and has their back, and essentially doesn't over get overly involved. And so we just looked at all those things and we said, well, what's the best stuff that endowments do and foundations? And if we were to create a structured synthetic vehicle that had the best that we could figure it out. Let's just go do that. And that's that's really what we got to do, which is what re-imaging NLP was about. And we thought there are a couple core tenants that were really important. One was permanent. So we restructured our, our vehicle and made it evergreen. So we wanted to change the paradigm completely. The downside of this is we don't have a great word to explain ourselves because we're sort of neither fish nor fowl, but we're a you know an asset manager that invests in venture. And we said let's be focused because that will help our GPs know that we we understand their business. Let's make sure we provide more than capital. We do have a strong belief that right now in particular, you know, everybody has money and it's all green and it looks the same. So what are you going to do with your money that's different? And I don't think it's different for LPs any more so than it is for GPs and that what are you going to bring to the table? And sometimes it's a personal relationship. Sometimes it's insight. Sometimes it's data. Sometimes it's value-add services. But we, we really believe there's no difference for LPs. That was the genesis for reimagining it. Like, what does it mean? And how do you how do you show up in a way that says we're here to be partners, but we're also not backseat drivers? Because the point of the limited and limited partner is not wasn't an accident, right? I mean, that's that's there for a reason. Has the horizon changed in terms of the return profile? You know, obviously we all know companies are, are being held private much longer, but you know, this year, obviously a string of IPOs that we're in the middle of. 
What are your thoughts? Is this a trend that's going to, you think, get more and more egregious or will companies start going public even faster? Oh, it's such an interesting question. And when we debate, sadly, I don't have a crystal ball that's going to give me the exact answer for that. I do think the venture model is predicated on the idea of money going in and coming back out in whatever form, right? It can go come back out through acquisitions. It can come back out through IPOs. I mean, secondaries, but but the whole point, right? Like you put money into a company and it's at some point you're going to expect something back, right? That's It's an equity trade. It's not a have my money forever trade. So unless that fundamental transaction at, between the GP and the company changes, I don't know how that will actually ever allow for things to be wildly different, which is a little bit of a financial, you know, meta, meta level question. But other than that, we think it'll just, yeah, that being becoming public, going all the companies going public this year is great. It helps remind folks that the public markets are part of the process and maybe not for everybody, but for a lot of folks and that they're really deep, right? For all the money that people talk about being able to raise privately, there's trillions in the public market. Some of the concerns I have, honestly, if companies don't go public are for the employees in companies. And I'd, I'd be curious to hear from you what you see and how employees treat this idea of they're not being the same kind of liquidity available and do secondaries reach down to companies? Because when we look at what happens in some of the IPOs in the past and just how much, not, not wealth in the level of just individuals, but like really ecosystem building, like the Bay Area wouldn't exist if these companies didn't go public in the past. So what happens if that doesn't happen in the future? It's not necessarily an LP question, it's a people question. That was a longer answer I think you anticipated, but those are the things that, that I actually, that I think about these happening and I hope people do find exits at the right time for their companies. And an IPO isn't really an exit. It's more of a transition to a different kind of financing. I think what's interesting recently is the awareness on some of the wealth creation where, you know, early employees at some of these companies are, are not necessarily getting, you know, the returns that they expected. What that's actually transforming in the ecosystem is more transparency in options and strike price and all of the things that usually during a hire process, oftentimes employees gloss over. And I think now there's real attention to that because we're hearing these horror stories, right? Of these, you know, pretty decent yeah. acquisitions where early employees are getting nothing. You know, of course there's the debt overhang and the prep stack, but even then. So anyway, I think it's, it's, it's good. It's precipitating this awareness of where do I stand? And I think it's really important for employees, especially early employees of companies that they're adding value to, to be able to really share in the upside uh, when these companies get acquired or, or go public. We're seeing a ton of new fund ones um, all over the country. I think we've seen that in San Francisco and the Bay Area over the past four or five years. But now even in New York and Boston, there's this whole new resurgence of smaller funds, you know, 25 to $50 million doing pre-seed, seed, and even some Series A. What would your advice be to new GPs just starting out with their first funds? Generally, the first question, I, I use the same language all the time because I think some consistency helps. I, I always kind of ask people like, why you? Like, why are you doing this? Sort of at a very specific, like, like why are you deciding to be a venture capitalist and doing this? Because it's a job people are going to expect you to do for a really long time. And we can argue whether or not that's the right expectation. I actually tend to think it should be not quite that way, but I think I'm an outlier there. But you know, why are you doing this? And why are you going after this particular opportunity? And then why this firm? And then why will the entrepreneurs pick you? And implied in that is a whole bunch of understanding of backgrounds and the competitive landscape. And does the world need another fund doing this? And 
oh, hopefully the answer is yes. But sometimes you honestly see folks starting funds and they haven't really thought through all of this. And it's, well, you know, it's a really competitive time to be in the market. So if you haven't thought through all these things, the learning curve on the street is really tough. It might be easier to bite really small checks into companies, maybe, but it's certainly not easy to compete with established firms like yourself and your colleagues and and other folks out there. I mean, there's, there's no lack of people aware that this is an interesting opportunity now. Tell us a little bit about OpenLP. You know, we, we've, we've read about it and seen it across social, but tell us maybe about the, the inspiration and, and the initiative. Sure. Well, the inspiration came, gosh, it's moving on. I want to say four or five years ago. Um, I was chatting with Chris Duvos, who is a wonderful LP that we get to I get to co-invest with on occasion. Yep, we we love him too, and he loves his diet coke. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. And I, I honestly don't remember where we were or where we were chatting, but we were having this kind of conversation, like what's going on in the ecosystem. And Chris is always very visionary, and he was like, you know what? I bet folks would love to hear what LPs have to think on this. And it just once that question was that statement was made, it just was an interesting idea. And we're like, well, how does one do that? And the simplest thing is a hashtag on Twitter. Obviously not everybody's on Twitter or looks at that, but it was a simple idea. And so that was an easy thing to launch. And then because we had some capacity here at Sapphire, we put up the open LP website, which is really just an ability to repost articles because what we wanted to do was create an ecosystem that was invited everybody to play in. And was, would help be an amplifier to anyone who wanted to write from even GPs that write sort of, I consider the an LP-esque perspective. If you're writing about the industry or memes or trends, or if an LP is writing, just finding a way to pull people together and amplify it. So that was the whole genesis of it. It's super simple. It's a hashtag and a website, and we have a newsletter. And we've reached out to a bunch of LPs and said, if you write something, we'll retweet it, we'll post it. And folks have joined the conversation, and and that's great. Because I, we do think that the LP voice is missing or has been missing. Makes sense. And it's interesting now the amount of transparency across the ecosystem. We're starting to get founders ask us who our LPs are. Yeah, which hasn't happened in a while. So. Oh, really? Do they have an opinion? Like, do they, do they name LPs? Or is it more about is the money flowing to initiatives I care about? Or just how does the money work? Because in the beginning, when I started talking to folks about how the venture industry works, and I, I appreciate this, I worked at a startup back in the day, and I had Zippo idea that it was venture backed. I mean, it was, and I, I knew the words, but I didn't know what that meant. And I would have zero idea how the VC fundraised. And I have entrepreneurs say to me, like, well, does the money come from a bank? Does it come from an ATM? And there's just such a lack of just basic education availability of information, right? Because if you're an entrepreneur, you're caring about your product. There's no reason why you should have a whole understanding of how the venture ecosystem works, but it's helpful. The first time I I feel like it came up was around all the stuff in Saudi Arabia and MBS. You know, and obviously there's very large funds, SoftBank, et cetera, that are recipients of capital from Saudi Arabia. But I think a lot of founders kind of, you know, woke up, you know, some of them, if they, if they could choose, didn't want to take money that originated from certain places. I feel like, at least for me, that was a genesis of a lot of the beginning of the questions on like, who are your LPs? But I think it also leads to the sophistication of, of the GP in terms of, are you institutionally backed, you know, by fund of funds or, you know, endowments or pension funds or foundations versus maybe, you know, family offices or high net worth. Or, and I think founders are starting to understand you know, the differences between institutional funds and, and otherwise. I'm impressed. I, I think that, you know, the more the transparency, the better. So it's, it's a great conversation to have. And 
I'm definitely, you know, very, very impressed by founders who ask that. So founders that are listening, when you pitch your VC, you know, ask them, ask them who their investors are. I think it's time, Beezer, for the lightning round. Just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. What's the best part about being an LP? The people, the people we invest in and the people that they invest in. What's the most challenging part of your day? Saying no. I mean, saying no to an investment potential, saying no, I don't have time to do everything that I'd like to do. No, saying no sucks. Agree. How do you maintain your work-life balance? Oh, that's a tough question. I'd like to believe I have some. I think mostly I'm at a good place on work-life integration. And we'll leave it there. What's one thing you're bullish on that the market's bearish on? What I love about venture is I don't think it's as zero sum as people seem to pretend or believe that they do. I just don't really believe that it is. Let me just say it cleanly that way. I don't, maybe there are only 15 or 20 companies that matter every year, but I don't see any reason why there couldn't be 200 to 500 companies every year. It's, and then everybody could have a 10X fund and there's no reason why your fund can't be 10X and your colleagues next to you fund can't be 10X. It's just a matter of a lot of great companies being built. I fully believe it's possible. Otherwise, we believe that humans are limited in our capacity to build great companies. And I fundamentally don't think that's true. And the best book you've read recently or Netflix show or Hulu or Amazon or Disney or Apple, or if you have time to do any of those things. Well, I watch silly action movies on planes, so I don't think I'm going to cop to my most recent, but they usually involve guns and loud rock music and aliens. And, and do you do you cry during those movies? Because even like the craziest non-emotional action movies on planes, for whatever reason, I'm like crying, I'm tearing. It's like a very emotional place on a plane. Does that happen to you too? All the time. In fact, it's I'm so glad you said that because it's one of the biggest challenges I have when I'm flying with people that I know. Like if you bump into people on the plane, you're like, I'm going to be a weep fest while watching Fast and Furious. I'm really sorry. Right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, Beezer, we really appreciate your time and, and your wisdom. Full disclaimer, we are, uh, Sapphire is not an LP in ENIAC. In parentheses, yet, life is long, and obviously we're just getting to know each other, but <laughs> we think very highly of you and what you've, what you've built over, over at Sapphire and what you continue to do in the ecosystem. So it's an, it's an honor to, to interview you here. Oh, well, thank you for having me. You know, we've always been so impressed by your work. You are so in the front of understanding mobile and taking that out and moving it to the next iterations of what's coming. So it's really an honor to be part of your ecosystem in any way. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Beezer. And thanks everyone for listening. Make sure to also follow at seat to scale on Twitter and subscribe to anywhere you listen to podcasts, but it better be Anchor, one of our companies. Thanks guys.